If you enjoy the content of this podcast and would like to get access to exclusive content, please subscribe. Hi, my name is Fabian Morgan and welcome to Everyday Dialogue, the podcast where we discuss everyday experiences that shape our lives as human beings, whether it's celebrating our successes or painfully navigating our way through failure and trauma. These experiences determine how we show up in the world for ourselves and others. On this platform, I will be sharing my personal experiences as well as inviting a variety of guests who will share their most authentic or vulnerable stories where we lift up those who dare to show up fully in life. With a new episode every Saturday, we will be tackling a broad range of subjects that deals with what it means to be us, what it means to be human. So pull up a seat and join me at my table. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Everyday Dialogue. On this episode, I've invited an extra special guest. She's actually a life coach and she also does burnout as well, burnout sessions and burnout coaching. Um, her name is Alma. Welcome, Alma. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Fabian, for having me. No problem, no problem. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk to you about narcissism and um, your experience coming across anyone that has narcissistic behaviour. Um, have you personally yourself ever experienced being a narcissist? Because I think there are some people that after they've like worked on themselves, they go, oh my God, I actually had narcissistic traits. <laughs> some people actually do come to that realisation. So I just wanted to have us to have an open discussion around narcissism and our experiences um, dealing with people with those traits. What has been your experience with narcissism? What's your earliest memory you think you can think of? Yeah, no, I definitely have experience uh, firsthand with narcissism. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how I became a burnout coach because the underlying um, yeah, the underlying trigger beneath my burnout was narcissism. Mm -hmm. And it's led to burnout. It's that fear. I had a fear of authority, fear of judgment, fear of being criticised because it's something that I experienced early in my childhood. And so... Yeah, bring it back to the childhood. Um, yeah, I was just more in an atmosphere where it was tough love. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, pushing our parents, pushing us to, to be better, to do better. And why say I understand now as I've outgrown um, these behaviours is, yeah, like they were doing the best that they can with the awareness level that they had. I have empathy for them. But yes, when you look at it like that, you would see, I, you know, you would class my parents with not, you know, they have narcissism within them mm -hmm. and very strong narcissism traits. And, you know, my mother would be called more of a overt narcissist, which is, you know, you're openly manipulating it's very obvious and you can be quite rude and you can kind of just openly manipulate it's very obvious okay. but with my father i didn't actually discover he had narcissistic traits till really later on in adulthood um and it's called covert narcissism oh wow and covert narcissism is actually one of the most um dangerous forms of narcissism because um what it is, is it's not very obvious. That's why it's dangerous. So what it looks like is actually 
you're being guilt tripped. So it's a so covert narcissism. How I look at it is this victimhood. So you know you may say I have covert narcissism. I have a you know I have a friend, and I'm like oh you know no one wants to help me, or you know I'm just fat and I'm never going to lose weight, or you know no one cares about me. Um, it's this really strong victimhood that is yeah it doesn't seem obvious because you know i've been there i've helped so many people right and i'm just like oh yeah in, in the past before my coaching and i'm like oh like you know they just need you know help but what it is is how you can spot that it's covert narcissism is when you try to help someone and they don't take they don't take action uh, they don't want to move forward so is this this constant telling cycle. stories about yes, this is what happened to me. This is my past. It was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. And every time you speak to this person, they keep talking about the same stories. That's COVID narcissism. And what that means is actually they are, they don't know this. They don't know this. They're not aware of this. But subconsciously what's happening is they've got such low self-worth that they need someone else. They need others to validate their stories mm-hmm. for them because they feel like a failure it's just victim and I, I you know i'm not worthy i feel like a failure mm. and so they constantly have this strong emotional need to be fed to be to have someone validate how they feel because they do not feel important enough and that's usually in childhood it stems from where you don't feel important enough mm-hmm. and as a, in adulthood it manifests as this strong need for other others to validate them and to compliment them and to you know say that they're good enough and you really feel sorry for them um yeah otherwise they shut off and feel like a failure and yeah it's you know with covert narcissism that also stems of course from childhood and um usually it stems from you know not both of them stem from not having emotionally available parents but with COVID narcissism yes from COVID narcissism it really stems from yeah it's very similar not having it's lack of attention really isn't it it's like they're putting on this display so they can get all the attention they have no intention of really working on themselves or or change it's almost like they enjoy being in that center of being a victim it's funny that you're saying this because as we're having this discussion someone that i know came to mind and it's someone who i would say based on your description of what you just said is a covert narcissist and what he would do is he he would be he was in this relationship with um with this guy for years and it was a very very toxic relationship in a sense where they were constantly fighting and i mean physical fight to the point where sometimes police has to come to the house like stabbings like they were literally like physically attacking each other and friends and loads of people including myself kept saying this relationship is toxic you need to get out of this relationship but no they'll press charges against each other they'll drop it and that will be um that will be them again in a relationship now where the covert narcissist bit comes in for me in terms of my observation is what that friend would do whenever we'd all meet up together as friends like the group of us um we would invite him and we would meet up as friends and a lot of us, we don't bring our partners. We'd say, let it just be the circle. He would bring his partner 
And every time he brought his partner around us when we met up as a group, he would purposely bring up their relationship issues in front of the entire group so the group can get involved and mm. play play this victim and basically say this is the issues we're having and then everybody's trying to give them relationship advice then they would get into an argument in front of the group and it would kill the vibe and it got to a point where I would say okay can you not bring your partner around can you not bring your partner around because then the chilled vibe that we're all supposed to be having as friends turns into a relationship help session and not only that we give you all this advice we tell the both of you you're not good for each other you're not healthy for each other and you guys end up back together again anyway so it's almost it's like he always wants people to feel sorry for him and I never forget one time they took a relationship break quote-unquote break and I went out with him clubbing and he got so drunk that he got kicked out of the club and when we were outside he's laying on the floor crying talking about his boyfriend and I'm literally thinking there saying to myself this is actually crazy behavior because you're doing all of this and you're being told, you're asking people to help you, and we're trying to help you and provide you with the support and the need um, that you need and saying to you, go therapy, get help. But you like the cycle, you like the explosion, you like the attention, you like playing the victim. And as you say, it's covert narcissism. And I think where that stems from for him is not getting enough attention growing up as a kid, because his dad was very cold, very... Um, didn't give him the right love and affection that he needed. And a lot of the trauma that he's dealing with now, including some um, addictions and stuff, is stemmed from his upbringing. But you're right, a lot of this stems from our upbringing. And it's, it's really interesting to see that it is such a trait that a lot of people have. And I think it's so easy to get sucked in by it without even realising it. Another example, literally a few days ago, one of my neighbour... Um, she and her boyfriend's been going at it. When they have arguments, the whole neighborhood knows. And I think everybody in the neighborhood is starting to get fed up. So they've been calling the police recently on them. And based on what you hear from the house, it sounds like he's being quite aggressive towards her. She's been victimy and stuff like that. But when the police came the other day to arrest him, I see her swearing and cussing the police. Now, if you're genuinely the victim and you're in need of help, why are you insulting and arguing with the same law enforcement that's coming to support you that's because you like the display of performance she doesn't want the police to really arrest him but she wants to be able to do all of this and call the police and scream through the window so the neighbors can hear what's going on so it's a very yeah. very common trait yeah so when you realized your parents were um when you when you came to that revelation that your parents were narcissists or displayed narcissistic traits was it difficult having those conversations with them? Well, um, to be honest, I never really had those conversations directly. I mean, yeah, I do. Yes, actually, I did have those conversations with them, but it was discarded. And oh, wow. now, now I remember, and that is because narcissism is a defense mechanism so it is you know when we look at what it really is it's low self-esteem mm. and the reason why there's the difference between covert narcissism which is this victimhood as you've just said with your stories um and you've got overt narcissism which is the obvious narcissism it's the one that's 
you know, really self-praising themselves, like, I'm good, I'm this, I'm that. You can see it's a self-esteem issue. So one's literally in childhood being beaten down, but their defence mechanism, instead of punching back and saying, no, I'm good, they've they've just allowed themselves to be beaten down. So this is why it's victimhood. Mm-hmm. You know, they felt like they they can't defend themselves. With the overt narcissism, how they dealt with it is more with, you could say rebellion as a defense mechanism. So their defense mechanism was like, do you know what? I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to, you know, not listen to whatever you're saying. And I'm said I'm going to go out and do what I want. And it's just kind of like, you know, you to summarize it, you you know the parents and the child the child that they have a broken trust, and so now both children, the covert narcissism or the overt narcissism, are responding differently to that, you know, to their situation of broken trust, where they're you know receiving unfair treatment from their parents, and so now, for example, this overt narcissist, narcissist child, you know, who grows to be that is you know dealing with this with in terms of rebellion and really trying to prove their parents wrong um and not in a good way but in a more of a way like uh, you know my purpose is to prove you wrong and not listen to you and you know i am good i am this i am that does that make sense mm-hmm. so it's really like one's got a false perception of their self-esteem by you know, they haven't really got self-esteem, but they're really covering it up with a false mask that I'm, you know, I'm good and all that because they don't want to allow themselves to be vulnerable because they've got hurt. And so now they've put this mask up. And the other one is like so, you know, hurt, but felt like they, you know, they couldn't fight back. They felt, and instead they're trying to win their parents' love through victimhood. Mm-hmm. So that so I don't know if you've seen that before, where like children or teenagers or even adults, they will like you know they'll be sick around their parents as a way to get attention, receive love and affection. I've seen that a lot. I've mm-hmm. actually witnessed that even with clients that I've coached. Actually, they tell me stories that you know before when they were younger, they would always be you know sick around their parents like feel ill or not go to school as a way to gain affection this is that victimhood like this is the only way i can get love is through this victimhood for my parents but the other one the over is like the only way i can get love and, and affection from my parents is if they think i'm really good mm. or you know and i've got this salary i've got this job title i've I'm, you know i've got these grades so it's like trying to prove their worth through, you know, material status mm-hmm. um, or, you know, just popularity or whatever that is mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as a way to not show their vulnerability, weakness. And of course, both of them are unhealthy coping mechanisms. That's yes. what they are. Yeah, it's true. But they're, they're just on different end of the of the spectrum, but they are pretty much this, the same thing. You're right. And I think one of the biggest things that I've observed from people who are narcissistic is that a lot of them tend to be liars because obviously a part of ma- manipulation yeah. is lying. And I find that when people are narcissistic, they want you to believe their lie and they will do anything for you to believe their lie. I have um, mm. a really um, good friend of mine. She 
um, she was in a marriage and the, the marriage ended and everything, but her ex-husband was a perfect example of someone that was narcissistic. And he would tell these lies and he was so adamant on her believing the lie. He would go out of his way to make sure um, she believes his lie. And one thing I've noticed with some people, so for example, let's say you're in a relationship and you and your partner have a disagreement or you might say to your partner, I think you're this or whatever, whatever. If you go out your way to call your partner's friends and trying to get your partner's friends to believe your version of events, that's narcissistic. Because at the end of the day, how I see, if I'm having a fallout with my partner, I should call my friends and vent to my friends. And my partner should call his friends and vent to his friends. But mm. my friend, what her what her um, ex-husband would do, he would try and ring me. He would try and ring her other friends and then he would basically try and get us to view her in a very negative light mm, to buy into yeah. whatever he's trying to mentally condition her to believe. And I would basically, um, I, I, he ended up stop speaking to me because I would say, get off my phone. You're not my friend. She's my friend. If we're, if I'm going to have a discussion about your marriage, it should be her bringing the information to me, not you. But I just realized how manipulative he was that he wanted to break her and convince her to believe his lie. But he knew she would probably listen if the information was coming from me or coming from her other friends. So that's why he tried to rally us to buy into the, the, the facade and the lie that he was telling. So these are... Yeah, that's narcissism. Yeah. yeah. And it just shows you narcissistic people are dangerous and it's important to be careful of those people. Another friend of mine just found out someone she was dating was lying to her the entire time. He wasn't who he said he was and all this, everything started unraveling, but he's someone that's very egotistic, very, if you look at him on social media or speak to him on the phone, you'd think he's this guy that's like up here, has everything, but it's all a lie. He begged, borrow and steal to have everything he has. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with that, I yeah, like you said, you know, be careful out there. And, you know, I think that's just what comes to mind, my mind now is that, yeah, like on one side of it, it's important for people to have an awareness of what narcissism is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they have someone approaching them or, you know, they're, you know, they're getting to know someone that they can spot what doesn't feel good, like, you know, behaviours, but, you know, it's also down to the person to have those boundaries and be like, you know, this doesn't feel good. Um, I don't like, you know, the way you're treating me or I don't like how you twist stories. And so it's a no for me, you know, and I think it's, you know, everyone taking their accountability. And if, if the narcissism, you know, the narcissist can't, are unable to take that accountability as of yet because, you know, it takes a lot to even admit that you're a narcissist. Um, you know, it's really down to us to take that accountability. What is good for us and what isn't? Um, because, you know, I've I've been drawn to narcissistic um, men in the past. And, you know, when I'm out, you know, like when I'm in it, I'm like, oh, he's like this, he's like this. You know, it's toxic, but, you know, I'm still not leaving. I'm allowing myself to to basically follow his games. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what I really realised is, you know, as, you know, when I was younger, when I found out that my parents, you know, had narcissism in them, I used to be like, oh, you know, you're like this, you're like that. Until I realised there was this 
point for me where I realized and I sat down and I was researching that and I was looking at narcissism and I was like do you know what I have I've got these traits mm. I have these traits yeah. because narcissism is generational and mm -hmm. most of us that had parents with narcissism you know it's going to you know we learn those behaviors because that's what children do children look up to their parents and they learn from parents how their parents communicate and how they are and we learn from them so of course it's normal and pretty natural for children to grow up and when they're adults they also have narcissism behavior and what is the you know what is the issue with narcissism the, the issue is communication mm -hmm. that is what narcissism really is about you know going back to a child you know i felt as an example that i couldn't communicate my emotional needs because it wasn't safe to do so you know i got shut down or you know i, I felt a lot of fear you know i was shamed i was made to feel guilty my you know my emotions weren't resolved you know, when I was going through pain or like, as in, you know, I was going through emotional hurt, you know, no one was there to actually help regulate that. And so what happened is, you know, I was not, a, I shut myself down. This is what it is. Narcissism, they shut their vulnerability down and they don't know how to communicate their vulnerability now safely. And so they look they, you know, they look at their parents, what do their parents do? And, you know, often parents, you know, with narcissism, they will, they won't communicate directly vulnerably because communication should always be vulnerably from the heart. Like, this is how I feel, I, you know, that really hurt me when you said that, you know, how can we resolve this? This is how it should be. But, you know, instead it was more like, you know, looking at the parents, how do they, how do they respond? And, you know, it's usually through manipulation, you know, okay, I can't ask directly for what I want because I'm scared I'm going to get let down. So I'm just going to be saying manipulative, manipulative state, statement like, oh, you never give me anything. You know, I do everything for you. You can't, you know, you know, I think you should give me this. You know, it's asking for it, asking for things in the wrong way or, you know, again, instead of directly saying how you feel, saying like, you know, no one is here for me, no one listens to me, instead of saying, you know, I'm hurt, can, can I speak to you about this? It's more like, you know, no one's here for me, or, you know, it's just like these really toxic, self-sabotaging behaviours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just, and it just stems from not ha feeling, having a safe space to speak vulnerably as a child, and that vulnerability is still blocked as an adult and that's how we work for it that's how i overcome my narcissism that i had these narcissism traits when i found out i was like oh my god you know and i really had i think i actually you can actually flip between the two so i actually was a bit like my mom and a bit like my dad in some periods but i actually really had a lot of this covert narcissism where you know, my friends, I would always talk to them about my problems, but not vulnerably, not like direct, like this is the issue. 
I'm really hurt. How do we make, you know, how can I resolve this? I really need someone to talk to. It was more like talking about my past stories and how, you know, wanting people to feel sorry for me mm-hmm. and, you know, say, oh, you're, but you're amazing though. You know, this is what it was like for me in the past. Um, and it took a lot for me to overcome narcissism. Wow, that's quite powerful. That's very powerful. And well done for even identifying that. You must have done a lot of work on yourself to get to a place where you realise, wow, these are the traits I have that aren't good and I need to work on that. Um, What happened in your life that made you realise that something had to change and you had to do the work? Because I find that a lot of us that have worked on ourselves, whether it's going through therapy, meditation, so whatever it is that we did to get to a, to have a better self-awareness of ourselves, usually something massive had to happen in our life for us to actually stop and look at ourselves. So what happened yeah. to you that led you to stop and look at yourself? Honestly? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do I put it like this? I'm going to put it out there clear and straight. When you block your own vulnerability, like when your own vulnerability is blocked, Mm-hmm. from childhood what happens is as you get older and you go to adolescence and adulthood years you're not actually able to have authentic vulnerable connections so i would be in relationships in the past and i would say i'm in love but eventually after the honeymoon phase is i would get bored of relationships because I would feel so empty, I would feel emotionally numb. And I am emotionally numb because I've been blocking my vulnerability and it's been blocked through all this shame. Mm. And so I wasn't actually able to have real relationship, have real love because I, you know, was blocking my, you know, I was blocking my own vulnerability. And you know, so I had all these relationships, honeymoon phase feel like I'm in love, feel like it's the best thing ever. And, you know, I realise that is because, you know, the first three months that say that's the honeymoon phase is because your hormones, dopamine and oxytocin, are shooting high as the same reaction as to, you know, when you're on drugs, that's what it really is. Mm. You know, you have this shoot of dopamine and oxytocin. You're like, you're on this high. You're like, oh, my God this is amazing, you know, this relationship, I've met the one, you know, it's, you know, this is the dream, I love it. And then after, it's like, completely like, you feel nothing. And that was like, for me, or you feel something, but not really much. Um, And that's when you start to see the narcissism, by the way, after the honeymoon phase, you start to see the narcissism come out, you start, you know, not listening to your partner, you you start having petty arguments and just just really petty arguments about things. And yeah, so I remember this point where it really hit for me. I was, you know, seeing someone, I wasn't really in a relationship, I was seeing someone building up with them. And I just remembered doing like, and I was staying with them and I was going through a really hard period in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, to do with my, you know, to do with my connection with my parents because I felt so much like fear of shame, fear of failure still um, from my father, who was really the tough love person. And I remember being with this person, and I was like, and they were like, they had all these feelings for me and they were talking about it. And I'm like, 
I looked at them and this was the first time I was honest with someone. I was like, I'm sorry, but I don't actually feel the same for you. And I wish that I did. I really wish I felt the same for you as you feel for me. But if I'm honest, I feel numb. I actually feel numb. And I realized, you know what? This was that point where I, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not getting in relationships as a way to fuel my self-worth because that's what I was doing if I'm honest with you Mm. I was I was a person that was always in relationships and now when I look back it was to fuel my self-worth like I and you know this is you know this goes hand in hand with codependency so you know I was really dependent on others to fuel my self-worth because nothing was I had no self-worth inside of me and I just said you know I can't I can't do this to you I can't hurt you I can't just use you, you know, not that I intentionally used anyone, but obviously when I became aware that I had narcissism, then I realised, oh my God, you know, actually I need to resolve this, not be with someone if I'm not feeling the same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because my invulnerability is blocked. And I said, you know, you know, I've got to let you go. And we're still good friends, but, you know, it was that selfless point for me where I said, you know what, I can't do this to someone. I can't let someone feel for me that much when I can't, you know, uh, uh, what's the word called? Um, yeah, I can't give back to them as much. Reciprocate. That, reciprocate, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that, that was point, And it was horrible starting the journey. I'm not going to lie to you. Of it course. was horrible yeah. starting that journey mm-hmm. and being like, I'm not going to be with anyone and making mm-hmm. that conscious decision to not take the easy option, not take the easy road and instead, you know, become aware of my behaviours and how I react to people, how I respond to people and be, and actually really spotting like what what is you know, what is real and what is false? Mm-hmm. Like, what is, you know, real about me? What's really authentic what I'm saying? Or what's mm-hmm. really me trying to just get them to fuel my self-worth, self-esteem? Did you go to therapy? Um, did I go to therapy? I have had, like, before I was a life coach, I had had life coaches oh, yeah, myself. Coach. Yes. Okay, great, yes. great. Yes, and that's a whole big pot that it opened there for me. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, and I definitely, you know, I'm not, you know, that's what made me fall in love with life coaching because, I, you know, it opened so much for me. I was, you know, when I was dealing with this chronic emotional numbness and I was not able to feel anything, you know, that's when I started to go to life coaching and I'm like, I'm a zombie. And they, they even asked me, how do you feel? And they could see I was like moving my eyes around. They were like, no, I don't ask you what you think you feel. Asking mm. what you feel, and I was like, I don't know. I was literally shouting, I don't know what I feel. I can't feel. Mm. That's how blocked up I was. Like that's how much I denied my own vulnerability. And back then, I was like, I had the, I had a great life. I had the apartment. I had savings, the career. You know, I had a partner at the time. Like you know, my life was beautiful on the outside. I was shopping every week. Yeah, but. It was all what I was doing is I was denying my own vulnerability. I was denying to go deep inside of myself. So I was just running away from myself. I was constantly pushing myself away from my being. You know, I was doing, doing, 
as a way to get away from my being um, and basically surrender to myself, surrender to who I really am and, you know, all my flaws and to surrender to, you know, yeah, my imperfections, my pain, you know, that, that I'm not good, you know, that I may not be good enough, like all these beliefs that I was attempting to run away from or deny or just block up. I, had, I surrendered to all of it. That was really a big breaking point is when I surrendered to it. And I said, you know what? Okay, maybe I'm nothing. Maybe I'm not this person, you know, I used to try to put myself on a pedestal, like I'm, you know, got this high corporate career, I'm this, I'm that. And I said, you know what? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just an average person. I used to fear that um, because, you know, mm. lack of importance in childhood, right? Self-esteem. So I'd always try to put myself on a pedestal. Yeah. And, yeah, and so I, I said, maybe, maybe I'm just average person and I'm maybe I'm not as important as I tried to put myself out there to be. And maybe that's okay. It, and it is okay. It is okay. We're, we're all important in our own way. What what makes us important is people, right? People is what makes us important. Every single one of us is important to someone. So as long as we're important to someone and we're important to ourselves, that's all that really matters. And it just shows, based on what you're saying, that how having that over overly narcissistic trait can lead to trying to not just attain all these things but using it as a way to validate yourself you like and as humans we should be able to feel validated whether we're whether we have all those things or not the validation really and truly should come from within and i really salute you for the work you've done on yourself because i definitely can agree with you it is hard to stop and look in the mirror look at all your flaws and say i need to change some shit because I remember one of the biggest realizations I had um, when I started dating my partner now was how in so many ways I was quite selfish in a sense where in my previous relationships before this one I'm in now, I never used to listen to my partners at all. It's like, I'm doing me, you either get with it or don't get with it. I used to talk to my partners crazy. Like now that I think about it, it was proper disrespectful. And it just shows that I never really valued those relationships. And um, a part of me being that way, and this is something I discovered when I went therapy, is that, you know, you mentioned how you had issues with codependency. I was the opposite. I, ha I, exper I have something that I'm, that I'm still learning to deal with, which is counter-dependency, which is yeah. the opposite of codependency. I very much operated like I need no one. And... Yeah. Because of that fear, and that comes from the fear of being let down. Mm. That comes from the fear of the. De I've got detachment issues as well, so issues around mm. people leaving me or abandoning me. I try as much as possible to position myself in a way that if you leave me, I'll be okay. There's no ties. So I so I realized that in all my previous relationships, I never gave my partners a hundred percent. Mm. and that was because if they at any moment decided they no longer wanted to be with me I'll be okay I didn't want to allow anyone fully in and one of the th things that my current partner we've been together nearly five years that he brought to my attention very early on when we started dating I don't like accepting things from him so like he would do stuff for my birthday or buy me things and I'm like and 
I, I wasn't very receptive to it. And he used to say to me, allow people to be nice to you and be good to you, like accept nice, it. Yeah. But it's like, for me, I'm just like, I don't want anyone to do anything for me. I'm okay on my own. And mm. in life, we need people. And you can't allow one hurt that you experienced 10 years ago to prevent you from giving 100% of you to your current partner or to your current friendships. And over the years, that's something I've been working on, just learning to let people in and learning to take, pull my wall down and not have this, I can do everything by myself. I struggle yeah. some days. I struggle. <laughs> I still that's struggle. Like, that's still good, amazing, like, self-awareness there. You know, and, you know, I just want to say, like, um, you call it counter-dependency. You know, you can actually have, you can flip from codependency to counter-dependency, you know, back and forth. You can even have both at the same time, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. You know, I also had counter-dependency. And, um, and it, I remember being in a relationship. Uh, yeah, and this is like when I really had this high pride, put myself on a pedestal. You know, I had this life. And this is when I was in Sweden. And I was with my partner at the time. And he I remember he got a job and it was good paid. And, you know, I maybe I didn't have the money then at the moment to go shopping. And he started picking up some items like, let me buy you some stuff. And I remember just literally tearing. And looking back at it, I was like, what did I do? Why did I do that? But I was tearing. I was like, you know, you're embarrassing me. Like, I don't have money. And now you're trying to buy things for me and wow. you know I can look after myself and you know it was this strong sense of like yeah it's a strong sense of like you know I'm my own masculine you know I'm and this is this counter dependency like I'm my own masculine I don't need anyone else to you know give me things and to provide for me or like I'm I'm my own feminine I'm my own, you know I'm just able to do give myself everything and yeah I, I realized now that I had these kind of strong masculine traits back then where I was like I wasn't open to receiving is what I mean like that feminine which is in all of us what men and women it's like it's that allowing yourself to like be open to receive you know receive nurture um you know and so yeah, no, I've definitely been back and forth and even had both of them at the same time. You know, I'll be one minute, I'll be tough. And the next minute I'll be like, yeah, but my story, you know, what happened to me in childhood, you know, um, and like prone to victim mode. So it's quite funny. You can really yeah. have both. <laughs> you can and it's like it's it's uh, do you know what sometimes as humans we're so impossible to please like I'll give an example like all my exes that I've dated I've always made the most money in my relationships I've always been the one to make more money than my partners and then my ex my ex that I've dated there was issues around um him having gambling addictions and me spending loads of money on him and like feeling financially exploited and I promised myself I would never date a guy that's broke again and like I, I, I said that to myself at the time but then I started dating my current partner who makes more money than me and then when he buys me things or do stuff for me I don't want it because <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like I don't want you to do anything for me no I'll do it myself but I think a part of me 
and I have to be completely honest with myself because I've said this and I even said this to him, one of, not just the codependency, one of the reasons why I didn't feel comfortable with him doing stuff for me very early on in our relationship is also to do with the fact that he was a white man. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. You know, already in society, there's already this perception that obviously white people are more successful than black people. White people have more money than black people. So in my head, I'm like, if me and him go out together and he's paying, it's going to look like, like I'm dependent on him or like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just, uh, I just, yeah, it didn't sit right with me. But I have to realise that I can't allow externals, people's perception and views of my relationship to dictate my relationship. I know I meet my partner in the middle. I know that last time we went out for dinner, I paid the bill. So it's okay for him to pay the bill at this dinner. Mm. I can't base my relationship based on other people's perception because people are going to talk shit anyway. And it's, it can be from the, the, the my black side. People might say some shit about me dating outside my race. On the white side, people are going to talk. People might say he's my sugar daddy. Or people might say he's only with me because I'm young. People are going to talk. Like, it, it is what it is. So it's just, as humans, us get into a place where we know who we are as a person. And know, and just just show love and just treat people with respect and just be kind. And I've learned that I just need to, in life, I've learned to be more kind and I'm trying to live by that rule. Be more kind, spread more love out into the world and also allow people in. I've, I've kind of pulled my wall down a bit because my partner said it to me. Sometimes it was hard for me to, hard for him to love me because I've got this wall up. Whereas I'm just like not letting anyone in. And that is due to previous trauma and one thing that led to me being that way as well I'm a gay man I'm from Jamaica so when I came out being gay one of the things that I my family didn't know straight away but I've seen so many stories of people getting kicked out their home by their parents because they're gay or people getting um their family cutting them off and not wanting to do want anything to do with them so a part of my codependency went into overdrive because I'm I'm I wanted to show my family I don't need you for shit so if you guys want to cut me off because I'm gay that I don't care because I'm financially stable. I'm okay. I've got everything that I need for myself. But as a result of me doing that, everyone around me was negatively impacted of me being that way. So I've learned a lot of lessons. Me and my family were in a great place. Now my mom's actually even at my house today as we're recording this. We're in a <laughs> in a great space. So yeah, it's it's all about self-awareness, definitely. So what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned? about yourself and also what would you say to other women who are going into these narcissistic relationships not even just women even men what would you say to people who are going into narcissistic relationship because I believe they know the signs are there because all the conversations I've had with my friends who have ended up in relationship with narcissistic people when we reflect on it they said they saw the signs but they ignored it so what advice would you give to people who keep falling into that trap of dating, having a pattern of dating people with narcissistic behaviour? Do you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. The the best advice that I could say based on what I realised myself and really helped me mm-hmm. is that it's not an outer problem. It's an inner problem. Um, mm. 
and that's the biggest piece of you know most powerful advice because until we can take responsive self-responsibility we're always going to be moaning we're always going to be complaining we're always going to be telling people about our stories we're always going to try and yeah just always make out that someone else or something else is the problem but nothing is the problem you know we are the you know inside of not saying we are the issue but what is our pattern inside of us is the issue how we react which is inside of us is the issue and the most the biggest thing that i learned there is that how being aware of how we react might sound so simple but it's really not like you know really gaining that self-awareness because this is the way out you know through any kind of mental health is really gaining self-awareness through uh taking on you know better and healthier coping mechanisms you know rather than what we're currently doing which is reactive um just being aware of like okay you know i moan quite a bit you know i you know when something goes wrong i tell someone else about it like oh that person was like this to me and they were rude again you were taking our inner problem out and we're trying to you know take it out and out on someone or you know trying to you know get it out of us but really what we need to do is go inside of us and really work on and regulate what's going inside that's making us want to moan and complain about others um and like an example that i can say there is let's say my dad for example i'm going to use that example my dad doesn't he, he i say something to him like i don't know i've got a new job and he will say oh really okay um like another one I've got a new job that was quick like you know you weren't long at the last one let's say for example right and now i'm like and so what's happening is inside it's like going chaotic i'm reacting inside like oh like starting to feel uncomfortable these uncomfortable emotions are going on and I go off to my sister and I'm like, you know, dad was really rude. Like he said that, you know, like he was just making a dig at me at, you know, that I moved jobs too quickly. And, you know, he, he gave me some funny facial expression. And I just think that's so rude. And I know I start talking about it for 15 minutes, having a moan, like, you know, he's always rude. He's always like this, you know, and this all started from the inside, right? Compared to if my dad has said that, I observe what's going inside, going on inside of me. I'm like, okay, this is uncomfortable. I'm facing some uncomfortable emotions inside of me. Um, and okay, let me see what this is about. Okay, you know, this is about like you know when I was younger, he would say digs or you know as a child, and it hurt me um okay so you know how can i regulate this you know how can i regulate this pain you know and you can even identify the emotions okay i feel anger i feel shame i feel guilt i feel disgust in me these are very you know natural human emotions that we feel okay well, I, you know i need to regulate this because 
you know, I think that's a big part of healing narcissism is realizing that, you know, we need to stop trying to make others change for us. That's what's happening is part of narcissism is attempting to change others to adapt to us, to adapt to what's uncomfortable inside of us that we're avoiding, that we're trying to run away from and not face these uncomfortable emotions. Um, and, you know, I've been there. I, you know, I would say to people, oh, you're, you know, you're so rude. Like, you know, you say things that are like, you know, you're, you say things that are mean, you know, and I may say to a partner, like, you know, I'm always constantly digging out other people for being the way they are around me. Mm. And yes, you can have that clear communication and say, you know, I would appreciate if you would be more mindful when just you know be more considerate of my feelings but technically speaking everything's an inside problem so i can actually regulate myself enough that even if someone says alma you're a don't want to swear now but a swear word technically speaking i have the power inside of me to regulate that and not respond and not be affected by that and I think it's realizing that the power was inside of us, the power to heal was inside of us, um, you know, to regulate and integrate these parts that we rejected about ourselves. Um, yeah, like that was that was one of the most powerful things that I learned is realizing actually I could regulate when someone was being rude to me and it not affect me. Yes, of course, you want to always be in a nice environment. I would definitely, you know, I'm definitely for that. You know, if you can be in a good environment, then do so. Mm -hmm. But from my own personal experience, I've been running my own whole life. I've been moving towns. I've been moving cities. I've been moving countries to get away from toxic environments and, you know, get away from family and, you know, just leave jobs that were toxic um, but what I was actually doing, I was uh, running away from myself because it's an inside problem. It's not an outside problem. I wow. am able, and that, that, that was the life changing thing for me is when I stopped running, I, I, I was, I've moved so many times, Fabian, so many times. I have too. <laughs> I have too. Yeah, I yeah. have too. I have restarted my life so many times, so many jobs, mm -hmm. so many homes to try and, be, and I'm like, you know, everyone else is the problem, okay? Mm. This is what my, you know, what was happening. But what really what was the problem was how I was reacting to my environments. That's what I'm trying to say here. The problem was how I was reacting to my environments. I didn't know how to self-regulate when some shit would, sorry, some crap would go down. No, you can swear my podcast is For example, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm dealing with a, a manager that has narcissistic traits and they're being rude and I don't know how to be like I don't know how to regulate myself instead yeah. of what's happening I was reacting to this narcissistic manager mm. constantly like you know and I would go to my colleagues and I would cry and I would you know moan I would complain and you know that she's the problem but technically speaking you can see other colleagues maybe or, you know, let's say there is a colleague that can regulate and knows how to, because I know that this is a thing that, you know, the world don't know 
Yeah, it's based on what you said, what I got from what you said, it's really and truly, it's about the internal work. It's about you working on yourself and you fixing whatever the issue is because you can't control what other people do, but you can control yourself, control how you react. And as you were saying, is that because of your um, issues about not being able to fully regulate your emotions and you were a kid, you didn't know how to process that. So when you were in adult situations in work, dealing with toxic bosses, you were just kind of reacting off the back of that. Now, what I wanted to ask you is, what have you put in place? Because based on what you've said to me, you've obviously done the work, you're fully aware of um, the narcissism that you've experienced from your parents. And you said you tried to have the conversation with them about working on it to obviously help rebuild the relationship and they it, they weren't receptive. So what boundaries and what measures have you put in place now in order for you to be able to deal with them? Because I think that's important to yeah. us to do. I mean, yeah, I had the conversation with them, but as I said earlier, because of their level of awareness and to admit that because they're in a defensive mechanism, um, which takes a lot to someone to admit, they have narcissism what i found even that helped my relationship with my parents by the way mm -hmm. like huge and so if anyone's listening to this and they have issues with their parents um and they may not see that it can get better because it's very toxic actually you know i have gone through a journey where i focused instead of focusing on changing the outside and the external circumstances i focused on working on myself and regulating myself and being aware of how I respond and how I react and you know mainly how I react and automatically and being conscious about how I speak speaking from the heart space which is takes a lot of practice so please don't be hard on yourself um to speak from the heart space really feel your words um and what I realized as I was regulating myself which was just extraordinary is my parents started to change like that was that was crazy for me that realization that like and i'm not saying that they healed from their narcissism mm. but our relationships like our connection became better like they they went from being rude and manipulative and shouting and being horrible to being kind and being caring and wow. being loving and so when you see what changed the only thing that changed was me mm -hmm. and the only thing and that's a big realization there is that people every everything in life is a reflection mm -hmm. so you know and that, that was the biggest thing like the mind-blowing thing is that every you know everything is a reflection so i think you mentioned about your story on like you know, you have, you know, a white partner and, you know, earning more money and, you know, what people are thinking like that. But what really is happening there is you think about that yourself. You're thinking mm. of yourself like that in that way. Yeah. So it starts it, yeah. with your own perception. Yes. And then you start acting in that perception. I agree. That actually, you know, people are thinking like that. So you might start putting your head down when people are around. You might start speaking differently, like low confidence. And so others are just reflecting the perception you have on yourself. 
it's it's true you're completely right in terms of it, it it does come from me because i think where that stemmed from was whenever we went on really fancy holidays whether it's wherever we went if we stayed in like really really fancy hotels and even if i paid or he paid it doesn't matter who paid or whatever sometimes we'll be in a five star hotel and i'm one of the few black people in that hotel and i think my insecurity then comes in where i'm saying to myself I don't want these other white people to look at me and think I'm only in this hotel because I'm with a white man. I don't want them See, to but, think I can't afford yeah. it myself. Yeah, but, yeah. but as you're saying, yeah, you're right. It's me. It's it's me. Because really yeah, and truly, funny, right? who cares what they think? Exactly. It's funny the stories we tell ourselves. And a, mm-hmm. a beautiful example of this is you like, you know, when you go to the gym, if you've ever had this experience, and you think everyone's looking at you, you've started in a new gym, mm-hmm. you think everyone's looking at you like, oh, look at that flat butt, look at this, or oh, look at there, they're chubby. But in reality, no one's... No one cares. Looking twice. Yes. You know what I mean? They're, they're focusing yes. on their own business. Yes. And that's a good example there. Yes. Is that's what life is really like. It's like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think you're getting judged. Mm-hmm. But you're not. You know, no one's really... Like, what's the percent there that, you know, if 1% are, you know, looking at you and being like, oh, you know... And it's just so funny how... We, you know, whatever happened to us, again, usually in childhood, how we tell ourselves, we literally tell ourselves stories and we are literally shutting ourselves down. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's so hard to heal, by the way. We shut ourselves down with yes. our mind. We yes. literally shut ourselves down with the thoughts. Mm-hmm. So no wonder why it's so difficult to heal the heart, like the heart space and open up and open the vulnerability. Yes. Our mind, our mind is literally telling, you know, our thoughts are literally telling, you know, telling our emotions, mm-hmm. or telling our vulnerability, like, you know, they don't understand or we're in danger or, you know, it's, it's not safe to, you know, communicate, you know, this is really just the thoughts and it, and it always comes back again from where, when we started to be programmed as children. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I would love to talk about some um, regulating um, tips, you know, to share. Yeah. Um, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, um, to share with my audience quickly before you go on to the regulation tips, because I don't want to forget this, but you know, when you were mentioning how, because you did the work on yourself and you made, you changed in terms of how you respond and react to your parents' negative behavior. And then as a result, it led to them changing. What about Mm. those parents that refuses to change? So what if you do the work on yourself, you've made the changes, but you're you're around your parents and they're still toxic. What does someone do at that point? What boundaries should they put in place? I would be very surprised to see that. I'll tell you why. Because... Remember, is to remember that the reason why people, you know, that people are rude and toxic is because they don't feel safe. They, they're in fight or flight mode. They're literally scanning for threats and they're ready to react. They're ready to bite. So what, but what happens is, you know, so this is why everything's a reflection, right? So, you, you know, the child may be, speaking back 
or you know haven't hasn't got healthy responses right so that's what i didn't have i didn't have healthy responses and this again comes from childhood i didn't have healthy responses to my parents before i did the work and so that's why we kept biting each other until i did the work and what happened is because i weren't biting anymore because i was aware or my, what was going inside of my body is the, the emotional reaction that was going on. I was able to stop. I was able to breathe. And I was able to feel what I wanted to respond. And that was one of the tools that, you know, that is life-changing for me. That was life-changing for me was stop, breathe, and feel what I want to respond before I respond. So if someone comes in, if my mum, let's say, comes in, you ain't done the washing again. Mm -hmm. You're dirty. You're filthy, you know? Let's just say Mm -hmm. that as an example. (laughs) And, you know, in the past, I might have been like, you know, I'll do it, go away, whatever. Like, um, you're always nagging me. And said, you know, when it happens, it's like, you know, I stop, I breathe, I feel, and I feel like, okay, I understand your frustration. I feel your frustration. Um, I haven't got onto it, mm-hmm. but as soon as I finish what I'm doing right now, I will. And even if they come back again and bite again, oh, you say that, but you won't. You know, you either have a choice. You can either leave it at that and say, okay, you know, if I if I respond, I'm probably going to be feeding something toxic now because this is unnecessary communication that's going on. You know, it was just that first communication that maybe needed it to happen. I will, I will do it. Um, or you can say, look, again, I understand your frustration and I will do it. Okay. Um, I, I, I hear so you. Um, what was, what was happening? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say is that I was disarming mm-hmm. their, their, their biting behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, you, when you're met with someone that's rational and you know, really feeling what they're, what they're saying and they're, you know, they're really feeling through vulnerability is their brain doesn't now perceive that they're you know that a threat is happening to them and mm-hmm. by the way it does take quite a few times for this to really register in the head the first time their brain might be like well this is weird like mm-hmm. thinking like this is weird i'm not used to this sort of response and they may still say something and like it happens like a number of times and then you know their brain starts to feel safer around you and that's what it's about it's about creating safe space for others first for ourselves of course you know so you know work we're, we're responsible for our own safety mm-hmm. you know especially as adults um yeah as adults um but you know being able to provide a safe space for others as well mm. it's a it's a really a two-man job like you know how can we and this is, also comes with vulnerability how can we expect others to be vulnerable with us if we're not prepared to be vulnerable give them that space to be vulnerable yeah i mean as i said i do agree with everything that you're saying in terms of that that is a positive effect in terms of you being um being able to steer the conversation and your and control your reaction However, I think the the point I was trying to get to, so I'm just going to kind of round it off, um, is you can still do all of that. You can still sometimes create a safe space, but the parents might still not want to change. And I, the reason why I'm saying this to you, because my partner is in that exact same situation. He had a traumatic childhood. His mom was emotionally abusive. 
and he's done the work. He's had conversations with her about them building their relationship, but she's not prepared to do the work. So at that point, I believe, and I've I've had the situation even with my mom where I kind of had to do the same because me and my mom went through a little period where we didn't speak for a bit, where sometimes you have to protect yourself and put an end to those relationships because a part of doing the work and having better self-awareness is that you view your relationships different. And that's not just your relationship with your parents, your relationships with your friends. And you come to the understanding sometimes that there's some relationships that don't serve you. And I find that since I've done the work, I've ended some friendships because I find that we're just not compatible anymore because Mm. a a part of being in a relationship with people and that this includes family and friends is having some mutual respect. I can't change you, you can't change me, but we have to find a middle ground where we can both respectfully engage, respectfully communicate, respect each other's boundaries. Now, if you're in a relationship with someone, whether that's a family, friend, partner, and they're not respecting your boundaries and you've repeated to them that they're overstepping the boundaries on numerous occasions, at some point, you have to say this relationship has to end. Because you can't put a boundary and not act on the boundary. Because if you say to someone, this is my boundary and this is what you do, if this will happen if you do this in the event of you crossing the boundary, but you don't do it, you're not really implementing the boundary. So I, I think that it's really good, as you say, to initially do what you do in terms of work on yourself, try to work on your responses, because sometimes just by making the changes yourself, it does have a p- positive effect on others around you. But in the event of those, you making the change and the people around you are refusing to change, refusing to do any form of work, sometimes you have to let them go. Like, for example, I think the reason why you're, you still have a great relationship now with your parents, they've made the changes because you've changed. I'm sure if they probably were still stuck in that rut ongoing, at some point you would have to remove yourself because it wouldn't be positive for your mental health, even though you have all this self-awareness. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I know exactly what you're trying to say mm-hmm. there. And yeah, I understand it. I guess with friends, it's a little bit different. And even with a partner, it may be a little bit different compared to family because family is one of those, it's tough to get rid of, right? So, yeah, yeah, it is tough. Know, yeah. And it's really even more difficult to split from family. It really is because, you know, they've been there since day one. You know, you have all these maybe, you know, you, you grew up with them and it's very difficult to split. Like, And it's very perhaps even heartbreaking to split with family because family is so important to us. Mm. Um, and so that's why I decided to really work on my reactive responses Mm -hmm. so I can, you know, have better relationships, have healthier relationships because, yeah, it does come down to, you know, being able to disarm others, um, you know, attacking defense mechanism through our own vulnerability and regulation Mm -hmm. to show that it's safe for them as well to, let their defense mechanisms down just the way I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you're saying, you know, sometimes there can be circumstances where they're not even changing. And, you know, sometimes 
it sounds like because I have an example of that of who in my life is, is doesn't want to change or it's very difficult to be around them still um and you know what I really see it as is they have very their defense mechanism is even tougher like they've got like sometimes it's very difficult to let down the defense mechanisms if it's that strong like if they yes. if that person has been pushing and like running away from their emotions so hard mm-hmm. for so long like you know so they've got really thick barriers really thick like defense mechanism then it's hard for them to feel you know even if they if you, even if you're providing that safety they're still like no something's not right like i'm i'm still going to protect my vulnerability because this yeah. is what it is but we're helping people to give them a safe space to be vulnerable because vulnerability is what heals us mm. right you know it's what heals this narcissism um you know and real like real vulnerability and um, not the stories <laughs> yeah um you know and just by saying like simply by communicating this is you know this is how i feel this is what i need um but yeah like as you say I do hear you. It is hard. It is hard to cut family off. For me, it's not that hard. But I guess that's because, um, as I said, I have detachment and counter dependency issues. So I could, me, I can cut anyone off. (laughs) Personally, I'm being honest. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. And I think, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, no, and I get that. Um, and, you know, in, in some of these rare cases, you're going to, like, you know, if you have done the work, you have really done the work, and you're not reacting to these people, and and you're being vulnerable, and you're giving them that safe space, but they're still biting at you, mm-hmm. then, of course, you're going to be like, do you know what? I've There is nothing else that I can do here. Yeah. I've been vulnerable. I've put my defense mechanisms down, even when they're biting Mm-hmm. You know, I've able, I've given that safe space. Mm-hmm. Now this, this is my line here now. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm detaching from you. I am, you know, stepping, stepping out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm, and, you know, it might be limited contact. It might be cutting them off completely. Yeah. But you know, I think at the end of the day, you're gonna know, you're gonna feel what feels good. Feels right for, for you. you, yeah. Feels right for you. Yeah. yeah. Um. To 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 wrap up this episode, please provide my audience with some regulation tips, please. Yes. Um. So the first that I would say is yes, the one that I've already mentioned is become, becoming aware of how you react and respond, and just really even starting today as soon as you as soon as the audience hears this to you know when you're in communication or you want to ask a question to stop and breathe and feel what you want to say um and you know you feel through the heart space this is going to really help to come out of the head because what happens is when we express ourselves and it's not via the heart space. We're not feeling it. We it always leads to shame mm. because the reason why we're disconnected from the heart space is because, and that's why we're not feeling our words, is because we've got fear, and this fear is in the head. You know, so we may feel 
you know, ungrounded. We may feel, yeah, we may feel in fear. And so when we express ourselves and it's not through the heart space, it's through the head, it will most of the time, because if, I mean, I'm saying most of the time because I can't speak for everyone, mm-hmm. but, you know, I realized through my awareness that every time I express myself and it wasn't through the heart space and it was through the head, which is driven from fear, it will lead to me shaming myself. Like, I will feel shame, is what I'm saying here. Okay. Um, so even, even when you have an argument, let's say you have an argument and ask you, like, oh, you start to feel shame, or you even start, you know, you start messing about and you start, you know, being trying to act funny, and then, you, again, you feel shame, and it's because we're not doing it through the heart space. So that was a really big change for me. The second um, is... Yeah, with narcissism, what's happening is we've become masters at um, blocking our emotions, not feeling our emotions. Mm-hmm. We've become masters at running away from them and suppressing them. And so what it means is that as adults, we have a very small emotional capacity now because we have been... We don't want to feel them. So every time that feeling, uncomfortable feeling comes up, mm-hmm. we quickly distract ourselves or whatever that may be from social media, you know, quickly go on the phone or quickly redirect what we're doing. So we don't feel this uncomfortable emotion. So what's happening is we don't have the emotional capacity now to allow these emotions mm-hmm. to surface in order for them to be integrated. So how are we going to regulate, you know, emotions, you know, uh, regulate this pain, this grief, this fear, this anger, if we don't allow it to surface, you know, again, stemming from childhood. So it's about building that emotional capacity. So building it, letting it, you know, get bigger so we can allow our emotions to surface and not run away from them mm. and not trying to suppress them. And one of the ways that I do that is through breathing. Um, and it may sound simple, but you know, this again, such a big life changer. And it's not only just helps you regulate and integrate those rejected parts of yourself, it, it expands your awareness so, you know, I'm really big on, like, awareness. And, you know, awareness is so important because it helps us to dissolve those, the uh, illusion that, we're li- you know, we're living in through perception. And, yeah, what I do is when I wake up, I sit in, you know, in my bedroom and sit down on the floor and, you know, legs crossed and I... I breathe for 15 minutes, I close my eyes, and what I do is I surrender. I literally, and I say surrender, I just relax my muscles, relax my head, because we don't realize that's also, like, that's I would count that as a muscle as well, mm-hmm. is relax the head, because this is where we keep all the tension, we're holding ourselves up. Um, surrender all this, and just surrender to the heart space, and breathe for 15 minutes non-stop without moving, fidgeting, um, just consistently 15 minutes, just focus on the breathing and focus on what, becoming aware of what's going on inside of you and, and, you know, doing this twice a day, morning and night, and that's what I do. And eventually what happens is 
we allow ourselves to feel compassion for what we're feeling, like these emotions, because, you know, the shame and, you know, the guilt and the disgust inside of us, it's difficult to feel compassionate if you've got a lot of that. And, you yeah. know, often with narcissism, you're going to have a lot of that. Mm. That's, mm. You know, it's a strong defensive mechanism that's yeah. blocking our vulnerability. Anything that blocks our vulnerability is shame, mm-hmm. disgust, you know, anger and um, guilt, you mm-hmm. know, all these emotions. So compassion is definitely a big essential key to healing narcissism and, and any of these mental health conditions as well um, is to feel compassion for what you're feeling but actually yeah. feel the compassion not obviously think it because <laughs> I've tried that before because <laughs> I was so disconnected from my body mm. um, and yeah just like sit down surrender to your heart space and just feel it and Allow yourself to naturally, within time, feel compassion mm. for what's going on inside of you. It's a form of yeah. it's a form of meditation as well, isn't it? It's it's almost like a form of meditation. Yeah, yeah. 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 I yeah. don't, I don't. I mean, I definitely advise listening to guided meditations, but mm. I don't personally listen to them. I, okay. Because I, I did used to, but I personally, I love the stillness, I, stillness, and that's what it's and about. And the quiet, you know? yeah. And this is often with narcissism you don't know stillness because stillness means being and being means you're not doing and in narcissism you're always 24 7 basically doing mm. you know maybe not 24 7 but most of the time you're doing yes because you're you're doing anything that will move you away from your being from your stillness from your vulnerability and you're and having to sit with your thoughts and your emotions yeah you're right you're, you're right you're constantly yeah. act, thinking like how should yeah. i act how should I be? What should I say? Instead of letting yourself just feel what's natural and what's real and authentic. Mm-hmm. And that may look messy. That may look, you know, it may not look great, mm. but allowing yourself to feel it. Whereas with narcissism, it's a constant act of doing, of trying to put this mask up. And, you know, really a big thing that I learn about narcissism is often a loss of identity. Yes. You know, because we're constantly adapting to others in order to boost our self-esteem, in order to be accepted by others. Mm. We didn't feel that in childhood. It's it's draining. It's really draining. Yeah. It's narcissism. Being a narcissist is a full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) It it is. You know, and that's what I remember. That's what I'm saying. Like, I used to, before I even realised I had narcissism, narcissistic traits, when I was younger, I was like, oh, I hate narcissists, you know. So I I lost my, you know, I had to leave my career and everything Mm. from a narcissistic manager. Until I realised that, like you know, hate ain't gonna, ain't gonna, ain't gonna help. Yes. You know, we're hating on people that haven't, you know, didn't have their emotional needs met as a child, and they, and okay, yes, you know, that's a their, that's their problem, but we're not helping them. We're not giving them the safe space to also yeah. come back to their true selves. And yes, they might they might want to or they might not want to. And again, that's on them. But it's at least I I have now compassion for people who have narcissism in them. Yeah. Um, because again, like I said, it's a communication problem, not knowing how to communicate vulnerably, um, to get our emotional needs met, and mm-hmm. we're having to do it in different ways. Yeah. That's you know, and so you know that brings me to. My third, you know, regulation tip, which is 
learning to be vulnerable with ourselves, you know, mm. and it's always going to start with the self, mm-hmm. like the relationship with the self, the connection with the self, the intimacy with the self, everything starts with the self. If we can't give anyone anything that we can't give to ourselves. So I think you mentioned yes. earlier where in previous relationships, you were maybe cold, I think you mentioned. Yeah, you I know, was I was quite, I would say I was emotionally distant and I was quite cold, yes. Yeah, and, you know, essentially what is happening there is there is something that you perhaps, if you don't mind me saying, that you're not giving to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I so agree. you don't have the capacity to mm. give it to others. And again, this always comes back to down to capacity. You don't have the capacity, you don't have the capacity to give it to yourself. You, you can't give it, to others. to give it to others. Yes. And it has to start yes. with self first. Yes. You know, yes. it was hard for me to, you know, have empathy for others at some points. Because you never had any empathy for yourself. Because, yeah. Because I was hard on myself. Mm. That's what happened in mm-hmm. childhood. You know, tough love, being hard on myself, that yeah. I wasn't good enough. So, you know, when others were upset, sometimes I'd be like, I can't feel empathy for you. Yeah. I wish I could. You're right, you know. You're right, because now my partner, he gets the best version of me because I've worked on myself and I love myself. I think I'm at a place right now where I've shown myself the most love and I've shown myself the most compassion and I look after myself. And because um, I've I've got better self-awareness and I understand what I need and I provide what I need for myself, I'm able to give a better version of myself to my partner. So you are right. And I think vice versa, my partner's able to do that to me because he's worked on himself and he's at a place where he's able to love himself and give himself attention and compassion. And you're right, you can't give to other people that you don't give to yourself. Alma, I want to say a massive, massive thank you um, for coming onto my podcast. I've learned so much from you um about the depths and the intricacies of narcissism and codependency and counterdependency and stuff and thank you so much for um giving this to my audience i think this is a, this is a really really important topic for people to talk about and for people to know so thank you so much for joining me no problem baby and i've enjoyed it and yeah um my main goal here today for this call was to just share the awareness on it and i hope others can you know start to become aware of mm-hmm. it and yes a book that i would recommend if i may in terms of the breathing mm-hmm. the regulating the emotions and building the emotional capacity um which i found really helped me is called the presence process um it is on audiobook, but, you know, I definitely, I think it's better reading it. Reading the actual um, book. Nice, nice. And, it, yeah, it just takes you through a 10-week process. Mm-hmm. of every, And once a week, you're working on something else. You're, you're still breathing and regulating, but it's uh, working through the perceptions and breaking through them. So, um, Nice, that's good. Yeah. So, um, Alma is a professional life coach. So, where can people find you if they want to use your service? So, tell us about, tell us your social media channels. Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and, yeah, that is just uh, my LinkedIn link is opening the unconditional heart. So after the LinkedIn, entering that into Google and yeah, I would love to connect with anyone and uh, yeah, 
Brilliant. Yeah, that's always... And and you can find that in the description box of this episode, guys. I'll put the link to her LinkedIn so you can reach out to her. Thank you so much. Amazing. Always. Thank you very much, Fabian. No problem. Thank you for coming. Bye. At the end of this video, guys, I would really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the podcast, and also leave a review.